Lord, thank you for your word tonight, God. And as Zach prayed, God, I, I pray for your touch and blessings, Lord. I pray that we would listen, we would be attentive to you, God, and we ask that uh, your spirit would be here and your spirit would anoint this time and your spirit would really speak. So give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying tonight. And so we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before uh, this old-time radio and TV comedian Jack Benny, before he passed away, he put into his last will and testament that his wife was to receive a single rose every day for the rest of her life. Well, after his death, the wife lived actually another nine years, and she told others that the rose had become a daily reminder of her husband's love. I thought that was really cool. Um, Tonight, though, as we continue our study looking into these last statements of Jesus, we find that his last words really just do that. It really speaks of his love for us. So though... uh, Uh, those things that he's saying, though they may be when he's on the cross and it's his last words, as we look into them, we really see his love for us through it all. So tonight we continue on with the last words of Jesus, part two. The last words of Jesus, part two. Now, as I mentioned, tonight we're going to begin in John chapter 19, Uh, We're going to look at verse 25 through 27. Then we're going to go to Luke 23, look at verse 44. And then we're going to jump over to Mark 15, 34. So uh, just follow me here. Matter of fact, tonight we're going to be hitting some different scriptures. So get ready if you have your Bibles to uh, turn to different places. If you're on your tablets or phone, well, you guys have it easy. You just go click, 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 right? (laughs) But anyway, the last words of Jesus, part two. Now, last time we saw two of the last words, his last statements is, number one, we saw words of forgiveness, and that was Luke 23, verse 33 and 34. And last time we also saw words of assurance, and that was Luke 23, 35 through 43. So we've done those two things, words of forgiveness, words of assurance. And now tonight, as we continue on to part two, we're going to see number three, words of compassion, and this is in John chapter 19, and then words of abandonment, which will go back to Luke, which we're really studying, and then jump over to Mark. So... Let's begin here with number three in our outline in part two of the last words of Jesus. Number three, words of compassion. Words of compassion. Now here in this section, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 27 of John chapter 19. Well, let's begin here with John 19 verse 25. Just verse 25. It reads here, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So let's begin here and stop right there. We begin with John writing how there at the foot of the cross, remember Jesus is now hanging on the cross, there was these women. And so John here, the writer of the Gospel of John, he lists these, these women and first of all, 
there by the cross of Jesus was his mother. Now this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And and I just can't, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but uh, right away I think of, think of, you know, Jesus' mother, Mary, standing right there seeing her son hanging on the cross. And then his mother's sister. Now from Matthew 27, verse 56, we know her as Salome. Salome, that's her name, Salome, or or uh, Salami, no, Salome. <laughs> but anyway, she is the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder, right? And so if you remember, James and John were actually Jesus' cousin. So this is the mother, sister, Salome. And then also with Mary, the mother, and uh, Salome is Mary, the wife of Clopas. Now, she in Mark 15, 40, we know her as the mother of James the Less. James the Less was another disciple that was following Jesus. We had James and John. I don't know, maybe he, they thought he was greater, but they called him James the Less and for whatever reason, maybe a shorter, I don't know. But anyway, uh, this is uh, Mary, who's the mother of James the Less. And then one more woman here, and that is Mary Magdalene in verse 25. And as you, most of you know, Mary Magdalene is the one whom Jesus uh, healed, delivered seven demons, right, out of her. So here are these women now. They're all at the foot of the cross. Uh, I guess you could say there's three Marys in Salome. Uh, Mary was a common name, must have been. But can you imagine there at the foot of the cross, all these women, can you imagine the pain, the confusion that really these faithful women who've been following Jesus also along with the disciples, can you imagine what they're feeling right now? Seeing Jesus hanging, suffering on the cross, dying basically on the cross. I was thinking about Mary, the mother, what she must have felt. And maybe her mind went to, you remember at Jesus' baby dedication, Simeon the priest actually prophesied. When we saw this back in Luke chapter 2, when we first started this book, verses 34 and 35, it says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And verse 35, the first part says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So you can imagine her heart being pierced right now to see her son hanging on the cross. So perhaps those words are coming back to Mary, the mother's mind, with this sword. I was even talking about Salome here, right? Maybe at this moment, perhaps, she realizes how selfish and insensitive she was. Remember, she went to Jesus and asked that James and John, her two sons, would sit on the right and the left of Jesus in Matthew 20, 21. Remember that. They, she wanted her sons to have a, a, a high place in the kingdom. I wonder if she now realizes how selfish and insensitive she was. And, and Mary Magdalene, she must have been just beside herself to see her Lord who had healed her of those demons, who rescued her, who made her well. Now he's hanging helpless on the cross. Imagine what they must be going through as John describes these women there at the foot of the cross. Imagine what these faithful women are going through. Yet, and here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, 
in the midst of pain and confusion, their presence shows their loyalty and compassion for Jesus. In the midst of pain and confusion, their presence, they're right at the cross, shows their loyalty and compassion for Jesus. That's what I see. Amazing these women are still there. Amazing that, what you know, they're there to be with Jesus, even when they don't understand exactly what's going on. Even unafraid and bravely going, even after Jesus had been arrested and the religious leaders came against uh, Jesus, right? I mean, the disciples fled. Where are they? But these women just showed by their presence, their loyalty and their compassion for Jesus. I read about one young man who spent the whole night telling his girl how much he loves her. He said, I can't live without you. Yeah. I would do anything for you. He said, I climb the highest mountain, swim the deepest sea, cross the burning desert just to be with you. Then right before he left for the evening, he said, I'll see you tomorrow if it doesn't rain. Not a real loyalty there, right? <laughs> and commitment in that. But, but we can do the same with God. When things are good, yeah, we're committed. When we're feeling good, yeah, right? When we're feeling strong, yeah, we're loyal. But when the hurt comes, when the confusion comes, when things happen in our life and disappointment comes, things that we don't expect or what we, we you know, things that didn't happen and what we expected, many just walk away from God. Is that you? I see these women were still there even if, they did not fully understand what was going on at this moment. I don't think they did. The disciples didn't, for sure. I, I, I believe that they thought with the disciples that Jesus was bringing in the kingdom. Now he's hanging on a cross. Can you imagine the confusion, the pain they're feeling? To Mary, the mother of Jesus, see her son. Maybe she had an inkling, but did she fully understand? I don't know, but they were probably mostly confused in all this and at a loss but the loyalty and compassion for him kept them right there at the foot of Christ I think we got to ask a question to ourselves we got to say does our loyalty and our passion go only as far as what we can understand what if we don't understand what if what what if in God's sovereign plan, he does something. We don't get it. We're like, God, why? I don't get it. Does that make us walk away? Or are we going to still be loyal to God and trust that God knows? I think that's what's important. That's what I see with this women. It's been well said, don't doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. And I think that's important. And whatever we go through, sometimes, yeah, when the, the hard times come, the dark valleys come, uh, we're walking through, we don't fully understand why or what's going on. But we are not to doubt God at that time, right? But we are to remember what we know when we're in the light, what is true about God in the light. I like these women, how they were loyal. They, were, they, they held to their presence showed their loyalty and compassion they held to Jesus no matter what. Well, look at verse 26 and 27 now. It says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Women, behold your son. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, right? I mean, just picture this. He's in all his pain and suffering. He's dying, basically, right? And he looks down, and there's his mother. There's Mary. And so Jesus saw his mother there, and then he sees this person, the disciple whom he loves standing nearby. Now, who's that? Well, this is John. In this gospel, John, who wrote this, actually refers to himself in that way, the disciple whom he Love. Now, it wasn't that Jesus only loved him and didn't love the other disciples. It was more like uh, Jesus loves him despite of his sin. That, that's what he's saying. He's saying, well, uh, the one Jesus loved, even, even despite of my failures. And so John always referred to himself as this one loved by God despite of his failures. So we see here that actually John was the only disciple there, right? So here's Jesus, yeah, as, as he's hanging there, they're standing at the cross. He, he sees his mother, Mary, and he sees John. And so can you imagine, remember I told you the way they hang? The only way they could take a breath is push up, yeah? His, he had to push up on the, the nail in his feet and pull up on the nails in his wrist, and it just shot pain throughout his whole body. Yeah, and he had to pull up, take that breath to be able to say something. So maybe pulled up, took that breath, and as he's going down, perhaps that's when he said, woman, behold your son. And so what we're seeing here is that third statement from the cross. Now when Jesus says woman, it's not in disrespect, but it's actually with respect. Uh, It's like he's using this title to make it official. This is the official word. uh, This is the official will and last will and testament, you know, type of thing. And, And so he says, woman, speaking to his mother now, he says, behold your son. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, we see that Jesus saw his mother Mary and he saw John standing there. So basically... Jesus saying, woman, mom, here's your son, John. And if he could point, he would be pointing to John. Maybe he was looking at him or turned his head. So basically, Jesus saying, behold your son. In other words, here's your son who will take care of you. We know by this time, Joseph, her husband, had passed on. Uh, it seems like uh, after a certain portion, beginning of the gospel, we don't see his name mentioned. So it's believed he's passed on. And the Jewish custom normally is for the eldest son to take care of the mother. Well, Jesus is eldest son, right? He had half brothers and sisters. Uh, they were not around. They didn't believe in Jesus. Mary was there following Jesus also. And so here's Jesus now saying, woman, mom, Behold, your son, here's your son who will take care of you. And then with that, in verse 27, he said to John, the disciples, Behold your mother. And those, John, take care of her. 
like she's your own mother. Take care of her like you're the eldest son. And, and, and it's so awesome that John is there, yeah, that he was brave enough to be there. But it was the Lord, and it was Jesus officially having John take care of Mary since Jesus was dying. So it says, and from that hour, from that moment, the disciple took her to his own home. So he took care of her. So here's the second thing. In the midst of his suffering, Jesus took care of others first with these words of compassion. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus in his suffering and pain and dying, that what did he think about? He thought about his mom. Yeah, He thought about she needs to be taken care of. And I think that's amazing. These, this is the third statement from the cross. This is the third saying. This is his last words. And the third one is words of compassion. And what was on his mind? Even in the midst of his suffering, Jesus took care of others first. You know, what I was thinking about in Philippians chapter 2, 3, it says, be humble, thinking of others, right? We know that, right? More than yourself. That's Jesus right here. That's what he's doing more than what he's going through. Not thinking of just himself or what he's suffering through, but he's actually more than himself thinking about his mother and someone taking care of her. You know, it's interesting. In Philippians chapter 2, a few verses down in verse 5, he says, let's have the same attitude or Let's have the same mind that was in Jesus Christ. That we would be thinking of others also. And I think that's important that we need to be reminded. Yeah, That we need, no matter what we're going through, no matter what trials or trouble, pain or loss or whatever that is, we should always still be thinking of others. Yeah, Even in the midst of our own suffering. And I was thinking... Should we not do the same for our aging parents? I mean, if they're still around, I mean, that's the same way to honor them, right? As God calls us to in the, uh, calls us to in the Ten Commandments, to, I, I feel like to take care, be in mind for those who have taken care of us, you know, and, and let it be a privilege and honor for Jesus. Words of compassion we need to be giving to others and even our own parents. All right, so we see the last words of Jesus here. And number three is words of compassion, words of compassion. Now we go to words of abandonment. Number four, the fourth saying on the cross, out of the seven, the fourth statement is words of abandonment. Now here, as I mentioned, we're going to be hopping uh, from Luke to Mark. So go... Turn to the left and go back now, well, well back from, you know, where we should be, uh, Luke chapter 23. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 23, one verse, verse 44, and then we're going to hop over to Mark 15. So Luke 23, verse 44. So as we come back to the book of Luke, after what we saw, uh, the second saying, uh, words of assurance or the the thief on a cross was saved and all. We come into verse 44. Now, verse 44 of Luke 23 gives us the context of what was going on. Kind of helps us to understand uh, what, what's happening um, when we go into Mark 15. 
So on verse 44, last week we left off at verse 43. So now verse 44, Luke 23 says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. All right. So this is setting up the next statement of Jesus, which we'll see in Mark 15. And so Luke writes here now, it was about the sixth hour. Now, what is that? Well, it, I'll give you the answer right away. It is 12 p.m. on Friday. 12 p.m. It's 12 noon, basically, on this Friday that Jesus died. Now, why do they term it as the sixth hour? Well, this is how they did time. The Jews did time. Sunrise, 6 a.m., would be the zero hour. That would be daylight. And then if you kept counting hours on um, that zero hour, then six hours from 6 a.m. would be what? 12 p.m. So that's how that worked. We know that in Mark 15, 25, that Jesus was crucified at the third hour. So what would that be? Six o'clock is zero plus three would be 9 a.m. So as you know, I mentioned how Jesus was put on a cross at 9 a.m. Well, that, that's why, because Mark tells us at the third hour, 9 a.m., by 9 a.m., Jesus was hanging on the cross. So three hours later, at the sixth hour, uh, 6 a.m. plus six hours is 12 p.m., at that moment, we read here, there was darkness over the whole land. Now, the darkness, it means it covered the whole land. We don't know how much. Was it all of Israel or Palestine, they called it back then? Or was it, was it just that area? Was it the, that side of the world? Was it the whole world? We don't know. Uh, some feel it was more than that area because some ancient texts from uh, different regions were saying they experienced this unusual darkness. We don't know for sure, but... But we know one thing for sure, that it was right here. At least it was in Israel, and probably more than that. So this darkness covered the whole land. Now think about this, at 12 noon, usually we say that's when the sun's the highest. So when the sun was supposed to be at its brightest, it became dark. Day became dark. And then it says here in verse 44, the whole land until what? The ninth hour. So let's do some math. If zero hour is 6 a.m., nine hours later is 3 p.m. Yeah? If we go, if I can make it easy, the third hour is 9 a.m., the sixth hour is 12 p.m., right? And then the ninth hour, three hours more, that would put it at 3 p.m. And we understand, and we'll see this later, uh, next week, but Jesus died at 3 p.m. So there's darkness this whole time, all the way up until his death. So the question is, what is this darkness that we're reading about? What What is this? Why this supernatural, I call it supernatural, darkness came over the whole land? Well, I'll give you the answer right now, and it, it, it'll go into what we see in Mark 15. So the first thing I want you to see is this supernatural darkness was the sign of the outpouring of judgment upon Jesus on the cross. The supernatural darkness was the sign of the outpouring of judgment upon Jesus on the cross. 
Many times in the Old Testament, darkness was this, this sign of judgment. Uh, we understand that over in Exodus chapter 10, 22, uh, right before that last plague, the death angel came. And remember, that's when uh, Pharaoh uh, uh, freed uh, Israel to leave Egypt and everything. Uh, right before that last plague upon Egypt, right before, let's think about this, the Passover lamb was sacrificed. A pitch black darkness covered the whole land of Egypt. What was that? It was a sign of judgment. It was a sign of judgment. So here, what we see in verse 44, for, for that three hours from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. until Jesus died, those three hours right before the Lamb of God died, there was darkness. So you understand, this supernatural darkness was a sign of the outpouring of judgment upon the cross. I like something to go along with that, what J. Vernon McGee said. He wrote, Then at the noon hour, darkness settled down, and that cross became an altar on which the Lamb, who takes away the sin of the world, was offered. And really, that's what the sacrifices in the Old Testament was about, right? You bring the animal sacrifices without no blemish, and they were to die for your sins. Judgment. The fire was brought upon that animal sacrifices to atone for the sins of the nation. So that's what's happening here. And, and it just hit my mind how J. Vernon McGee said that the cross became that altar. It connects us to the Old Testament and the temple sacrifices. That cross became the altar and the judgment of God was falling upon the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. So this was the moment, guys, as we're reading in verse 44, this was the moment when the judgment for all of our sins were being poured out on Jesus right then and there. This was the peak. This was the intense part of Christ's sacrifice for our sins on the cross. All right, with that in the background and that in our minds, turn over to the left to Mark chapter 15 now. Mark 15. Mark 15. And we're going to end up staying here. Mark 15, verse 34. Actually, if you back up, you can see the same thing. And when, uh, verse 33 says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So now, Mark chapter 15, verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So at the ninth hour, what time was that? You guys remember? 3 p.m., right? So from 12 to 3 p.m. now, there was silence while the judgment of God was being poured out. So then we come now to the fourth statement of the cross. So, so just picture this. I mean, when 12 o'clock, high noon started, you know, Jesus had already uh, uh, given Mary, his mother, to be taken care of by John. And so from 12 to 3, he doesn't say anything. But darkness comes upon the land. And, and I like to say there's this heavy 
darkness. Yeah, it's like it's a spiritual darkness because the judgment. And and you could probably it's one of those you can feel it kind of darkness. There's something going on kind of darkness. And then suddenly at 3 p.m. you see Jesus perhaps pulling up even more than he had been, pushing down on the the, the nail in his feet and pulling up on the nails of his wrist, taking a breath, and then he sh- cries out. And this cry is a shout. It's a cry loud, and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lemai sabachthani. Now, this is Aramaic. That was a common language of that time. Uh, Latin was with the Romans. Uh, Greek was a regular written language. But in that area, Aramaic was a common language, and uh, Hebrew was the scriptures. Well, the, Luke, or Mark, I'm sorry, t- translates this for us. What does that mean? Well, it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's amazing, that's exactly what we see in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, the first part. So in a way, Jesus was quoting that, but in a way, Psalm 2, verse 1, was a prophecy of what Jesus would say. And so he cries out with all that he can in the midst of pain and suffering, taking on the sins of the world, the judgment being poured on him. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken means abandoned. Why have you left me behind? You know what's happening? At that moment here in verse 34, at that moment, the heavenly father turned his back on Jesus. That's what's going on. He's being forsaken by the Heavenly Father. Think about this. It was the first time since eternity passed where the unbroken communion with the Father was broken in their relationship. There was a break in this relationship. And it was why? Because Jesus took upon himself all that sin. And judgment was being poured out because he took upon himself all that sin, the sin of the whole world. Imagine that. Imagine in these hours, I don't know if it was like all at once or from 12 to 3, there was more and more and more and more piled on. All the sins throughout all the, 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 the centuries, from, from Adam's sin all the way until time ends for us. Can you imagine that? All the sins, all our sins, all the sins of every human being, Jesus took upon himself when he was dying on the cross. All the murders, all the stabbings, all the, think about the crazy shootings that are going on right now. The people being beat up and abused, people sinning by stealing robberies, the scammers, there's so much scams going on right now. Every lie that's spoken, every time someone is cheated, adulteries, fornication, affairs, abuse going on, every lust, every anger, every curse word, the unforgiving heart, bitterness, hatred, unjust acts, every jealous thought and action, envy, idolatry, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, getting drunk, every selfish act, disobedience, pride, gossip, slander, every sinful thought and attitude, every sin 
every ever committed is placed upon Jesus here. As 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin first that we may become the righteousness of God. He became sin in that way. He took upon himself sin. And so it was then the Holy Father had to look away on that sin. The holy eyes of the Father could not see that sin. And he turned his eyes away. So basically... What we see, and this is the, the, the second thing I want you to see, the words of abandonment was right when Jesus took the full brunt of judgment for our sins. And as he's taking the full brunt of the judgment, the Father had to look away. So this is the fourth statement. This is the fourth thing. The words of abandonment was right when Jesus took the full brunt of judgment for our sins sins I think it'd be good right now to turn over to Isaiah turn over to the new the Old Testament to Isaiah 53 I want you to look at verses 4 through 6 and maybe after seeing what he said after me explaining what's going on that this might even make more sense and have more an impact on our hearts Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6. Isaiah 53. Look at verse 4. Surely is born our griefs and carried our sorrows. Born meaning like he, he bared. Yeah? It, it, it was put upon him. He carried them. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was, look, the chastisement, yeah, the punishment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And then verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has, what, laid on him, the iniquity of us all. That's what happened here. Do you, I, I, I don't know for you, but now when I read Isaiah 53, those three verses, it, it makes a bigger impact in you. Wow. It connects to this darkness. It connects to Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the Father had to look away as he was taking the whole brunt of judgment for our sins. The other day I was driving and um, I saw uh, an animal on the road, a roadkill. You know, we see them here and there. It's a chicken or a cat. I don't, I don't know what this was. But as I come in into view, I couldn't look. I don't like those things anyway. It was kind of grossing me out. Especially, you know, when the guts are like out there and their head is like all flat, you know. And I'm like, it just kind of grosses me out I, I had to look away I had to like keep your eyes on the road way over there you know and, and you know avoid it and all but it's just too much for me to see but that's what it was for the father yeah. that's what it was for the holy eyes of the father to see all that sin upon Jesus and the judgment had to fall upon him but let me tell you this. 
Jesus was forsaken so that we might never be forsaken, right? He took upon our sin and died for us so that the Holy, we could be, have a relationship so that relation, we can't be forgiven and be made righteous like 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. That Jesus was forsaken so that we might never be forsaken. So understand that. As we see in Mark 15, Jesus uttered these words. It should show us how much Jesus loves us. It should show us that he was forsaken so we would never have to. So when we have Jesus in our life, you know what? He will truly never leave us nor forsake us. It will, it's true that, that nothing can separate us from his love. And that's what we can hold on to. Because Jesus was forsaken, we'll never be forsaken when we have Jesus in our heart. So understand that that's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much Jesus is. He, he went the distance for us. He took upon his body all of our sins. Yeah? He sacrificed himself for all the sins of the whole world to the point the Father couldn't look at him. The Father had to forsake him. But in that moment of being forsaken, he did that so we might not be ever forsaken. That's Christ's love and sacrifice. That's even the Father, right? John 3.16, for God loved the world, yeah, that he gave his only begotten son, yeah, that no, should no one would perish, yeah, that whoever believes in him would not perish. That's what the father was willing to give up his son and willing to come to this moment to turn away, to break that, that union for that moment for us so that we would never be forsaken so that we would have a way to be saved and a way to know God and be forgiven and our sins be atoned for. I'm going to close with this. Um, there is this uh, story. Um, it's an old story. But it goes like this. After the usual Sunday evening hymns, the pastor stood up, walked over to the pulpit, and introduced a guest minister. Then this elderly old man stepped up to the pulpit, and as he gave a little introduction, his name and all, he then shared this testimony. So this is what he said that evening. A father, his son, and a friend of his son were sailing off the Pacific coast when a fast-approaching storm blocked any attempt to get them back to the shore. The waves are so high that even though father was experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright, and the three were swept into the ocean as the boat capsized. Now at this point, the old man hesitated for a moment, sort of moved emotionally, but then he went on. Grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the lifeline? He only had seconds to make this decision. And the way with things were going, he only had one chance to save one person. So he could only save one of them. The father knew that his son was a Christian and his son's friend was not. 
The father yelled out, I love you, son. And he threw out the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father pulled the friend uh, back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells into the black of night. His body was never found. Well, by this time, there was two, two teenagers sitting in the church, and they were pretty disinterested at the beginning of the service. But right at this moment, they were sitting up straight in a pew, anxiously waiting for the next words to come out of the old minister's mouth. So the minister continued. The father knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus, and he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he basically sacrificed his son to save the son's friend. And this is how great our Heavenly Father is, as he sacrificed his only begotten son that we could be saved. And then the old minister said, I urge you to accept his offer to rescue you and take a hold of the lifeline he is throwing out to you in this service. Well, with that, the old man, the old minister, he went back down to his chair and silence filled the room. The pastor of the church walked to the pulpit and called for people to give their lives to Christ and and he prayed, and they had this moment of altar call, and the service ended. After the service, the two teenagers went straight to the old man. That was a nice story, stated one of them, but I don't think it's very realistic for a father to give up his son's life in hopes the other boy would become a Christian. Well, said the old man, yeah, it, it, it isn't very realistic, but I'm here today, the old man said, to tell you that story because it gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his son for me. Then the old man added, You see, I was that father and your pastor's my son's friend. This is what the Heavenly Father did for us. And this is what Christ did for us. And that act of love, wow, we, we find this here, don't we? From what we saw last week, and even tonight, with the words of compassion, we see that love. In the words of abandonment, for sure. We see God's love in this, the last words of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are moved by what you've done, God. As we understand a little bit more of you taking upon yourself the sins of the world, my sins, our sins. God, in the, when the darkness covered the land for three hours, Lord, when the judgment of, of God was being poured out upon you in your suffering, in your dying, in your pain, Lord, you were taking the brunt of judgment for us. You were dying for us. God, you suffered for us. 
Lord, our, our hearts are overwhelmed. My heart is overwhelmed for all that you've done for me, God. Who am I to do that? I am just a sinner, yet while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And what else does that tell us but that you love us? What else does that tell us that that you did this for us and you're still for us and you still want us to be saved? You still want us to understand how much you really love us and how far you went for us. God, we look at the cross at Calvary and it, it, it is, back then, it was a symbol of death. And for us, we see it a symbol of one who died for us because of love. Lord, I pray for anyone here or anyone online who may have never accepted you into their heart. God, I pray that tonight would be the night that they just pray a simple prayer that they would pray, anyone here or there, just pray after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me as I repent before you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross and rose again from the dead. I give you my life Come into my heart. I accept you into my heart as I surrender all to you. Lord, I pray for anyone who's prayed that prayer that you would assure them of their salvation because you said if we believe, if we would just pray and believe and and, and come to you in repentance and accept you, God, that you would save us and Lord, as they receive you, receive them. Lord, I ask that as we close out in worship, that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, and that we would truly appreciate and be thankful for the cross, for what you've done, and perhaps even realize more of how much you really suffered for us and what the cross means so god here we are lord here's our heart here's our life thank you for all that you've done for us in jesus name amen